Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we've got a show that's really touching a sore spot in the lives of many people. It's an issue that affects people throughout Indian country and, of course, far beyond. We're speaking about what is really, in many medical professionals' eyes, an epidemic. It's an epidemic of anxiety panic attacks, all the things that go along with it. We've got a fascinating guest to lead us on our journey today. His name is Dr. Ed Carlton. He's the founder of the Carlton Neurofeedback Center. Ed, it's great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Now, just to kind of put you geographically where uh, our listeners can have a picture of where home base is, Ed, tell us uh, where you practice currently. I am due west of Washington, D.C., about 30, 35 miles uh, pretty much, as I said, due west, out of a place called Route 66. Okay. So any of our listeners out on the East Coast actually could, uh, well, I shouldn't be any listener on the East Coast, could easily drop by, I was going to say, but at least if they're in the D.C. area, you're red- readily accessible. Yes, I'm located in Manassas, Virginia. That's correct. So, Ed, you've got a doctorate degree. That doctorate is in chiropractic, correct? Yes, sir, it is. Now, that's not necessarily the normal route for someone to use to open a neurofeedback center. So give us a little bit of insight into your background and how you got into doing what you're doing. Well, um, that's a basically very personal thing as far as why I got into it. I myself have been bipolar my entire life. Mm-hmm. I spent, as many people who are bipolar, on medications well over 20 years. And in truth, I probably should have been on medications 20 years before that. Wow. I'm 61 years old, uh, and I have now been drug-free following the use of neurofeedback training for the last two years as of February of this year. Wow. But what actually happened was I was attending one of our professional seminars doing continuing education credits like everyone does with licenses. Mm -hmm. And I uncovered this at a symposium. They were talking about it and doing presentations. And that's when I first got introduced to it. So this is really a new interest for you. You haven't been doing neurofeedback for decades. I have not, no. I've been doing it for about the last two and a half years. So you've got a personal experience. You've been dealing with a bipolar disorder for many years. You've been on chronic medications, and something clicks. You're in a professional meeting with other chiropractors, presumably, and they're saying, you guys need to think about doing neurofeedback. That's correct, yes. Tell us what neurofeedback is. Okay. Um, Neurofeedback training, basically, it's, it's a cross between engineering, electrical engineering, and medicine. Okay. Most people are familiar with what an EEG is, an electroencephalogram. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a way of measuring brainwave patterns in the brain. They've actually been around a long time. The first one was done back in 1924. That is However, a little neurofeedback training does something slightly different. It's called a quantitative electroencephalogram. Big hmm. fancy terms, the easiest thing to call that would be a brain map. Okay. So first, someone comes to my office, and they are here. For example, we're talking today about panic attacks, which is an extreme form of anxiety. 
Right. And their concern is they wish to get off the medications they're on or they wish to avoid medications if they're not on them already. Mm-hmm. So first we would do an evaluation and then we would do an actual brain map. Uh, the map itself is not painful. Uh, the, the gear looks like a shower cap, basically. And it takes about a half an hour. Uh, you put it on and uh, typically most places use the same type of equipment that I use. You put gel in it, so it kind of makes a mess out of your hair if you're a pretty lady, right? But other than that, there's no pain involved. You sit quietly in a room, and we measure brainwave patterns with the eyes open and the eyes closed. With that information, we can evaluate how someone's brain is working. So let me see if I understand this correctly. Are you telling me, Ed, that by doing this, quote, brain map, using the sophisticated EEG equipment that you have, you could actually tell that someone has a tendency toward panic attacks? Is that Absolutely. actually possible? Yes, sir, that's correct. And and how frequently could you do that? In other words, if I had 50 people who had panic attacks, 50 people who didn't, they're both acting totally normal, how accurate would you be able to say, hey, this one's got panic attack tendency and this one doesn't? Probably 90%. Really? That is impressive. Well, the real reason for it, it's, it's not as much voodoo as it sounds like. <laughs> uh, as I said, the first the first EEG was done in 1924. So we literally have almost 100 years of data to look at mm-hmm. for what people's EEGs look like. So if you have 700 million, and we've got at least that many, and probably many, many, many more, but data points to use different times people have done EEGs, and they've been filed, and they've been used in studies, and they've been put in these large big bases that you can use for comparison. Mm-hmm. The fact of the matter is, when you're using large enough sampling, then you can get fairly accurate estimating if someone's going to experience anxiety or depression or difficulties with ADD based on brainwave patterns, because you've got a fairly good idea of what a normal, quote-unquote, brainwave pattern distribution looks like. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is fascinating, and I, I think a lot of my colleagues, I know, we're sending people for EEGs, typically when they're working with a neurologist, maybe for seizures, or they're having EEGs done if they have some mm-hmm. kind of sleep disorder. But it's not really part of what I see, kind of general medical practice of sending our patients with mental health disorders to have an EEG, however simple or complex that EEG might be. Well, yes. Uh, The biggest reason, a neurologist uses the EEG somewhat differently. That's the key. The term is quantitative. Mm. Uh, And the reason being what the EEG does for a neurologist, it gives them raw data so that they can examine the brain and determine if there's areas of lesions or, or for example, someone suffered a stroke, you can find where it is based on the raw data itself, which is what it's used for in many cases. But what we use is, is the statistical analysis, hence the term quantitative. Hmm. So we're using it somewhat differently by doing the analysis and comparing the brainwave distribution from one person to that of others and stating, okay, this person's brainwave patterns are whatever they are, X, Y, and Z, and compared to a demographic of the same person, a 37-year-old female, um, this is, we've got 65,000 of them here, and this is what they are supposed to look like. However, those suffering with anxiety have these areas of concern. Okay. So, Ed, help us to really get our hands around this by telling us a story. What does it look like when someone comes into your office, they've got concerns? How does this all play out? Well, perfect example, um, a patient calls my office, and typically if it's panic attacks, 
they're usually quite concerned about getting in as quickly as possible. So we we bring people into our office, usually same day if we can manage it, if not the second day or third day, depending on how quickly they can get there. Mm-hmm. I do an initial evaluation. And most offices, I believe, do about the same. Sit down. They will fill out a psychometric exam, which is basically they fill out a form online for me. And it's basically with that information I can determine the level of effect that their panic attacks and anxiety are having on their life. Okay. With that basic information in hand, we then discuss the next course, which is going to be the actual formation of the performance of the brain map itself. Fair enough. First of all, I like to explain to people when they come in what neurofeedback training is, what it isn't, what they can expect, how long it takes to make improvements. You know, to explain neurofeedback training in detail so that someone who wants to embark on such an activity knows what they're doing before they get started. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just as we're discussing now, neurofeedback training is new. Not a lot of people are familiar with it. So first I explain that in detail. Once that's done, the next step is to do the brain map we just talked about. Okay. And once the brain map is done, I compare that information with the data that they've provided to me to make sure there's a correlation between what the findings show and what they're experiencing. Hmm. So do you ever find a person says, I've got X, Y, and Z problems, uh, and it seems to check out on their history, on that history form they filled out, but when you do the quantitative EEG, it doesn't look like that's the case at all? Occasionally, yes. Okay. Perfect example, I had a patient in yesterday who is an adult male. Uh, he's 39 years old, uh, living, his, his parents are concerned for him because he's living at home. Mm-hmm. He can't hold the job. He was employed, no longer employed. According to him, he suffers with anxiety. According to his parents, he suffers with a lack of motivation entirely. Interesting. So we actually did a brain map, and what it revealed was marked and we can go into this after the, after the break, uh, market alpha brainwave, uh, they were very, very high. And what alpha brainwaves do, if they're located in the wrong part of the brain, too many of them, they create depression-type symptoms. Mm. And one of the biggest things you'd see with somebody depressed is a loss of motivation, which this person suffered significantly. Wow. So he felt he was anxious. Uh-huh. His parents thought he simply was not motivated. The brain map showed that the parents actually had a clearer idea of what was going on with them than he did. Fair enough. So he was really quite depressed is what the problem was. Yes. And the reason he was depressed is based on what my readings were, because his brain was not working properly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so basically where we're going with all this is it's not just to do this diagnosis, which is the first step, but you then can actually do things with neurofeedback to actually change that brain map, if you will, to change the activity? Yes, sir, that's correct. Well, you've got our interest, definitely. Were you able to help this person with the depression? Well, he's just he literally just came in yesterday. He comes for his first session tomorrow. Okay, but you've had other patients with depression who you've helped with these techniques? Many of them, yes. Okay, so I think what is challenging to some of our listeners, because mental health issues are just huge and they're so prevalent, I know that many of my listeners are tuning in today and they're on medications, either for depression or for anxiety or for panic attacks. Are you telling me, and I I know you don't want to make blanket statements, but are you telling me that there's hope with non-drug therapies using neurofeedback for all these disorders? Yes. And I can't... As far as a blanket statement, I'm not going to say that if you go to a provider who can give you neurofeedback training, 
that I guarantee you're going to get off your medication. That would be a foolish statement. Of course. It wouldn't be true. However, I can tell you that if you do neurofeedback training, that you have an excellent chance of feeling much better. The symptoms will be significantly reduced. And in many cases, in my own office, and I'm a perfect example, you can get off medication. So you're obviously someone who's functioning very well. You're a professional. You run an office. You're off all the medications. Diagnosis of bipolar disorder. For most people, this is not even on the radar screen that something like neurofeedback can make a difference. So what is it that you actually do then? Once you've made this diagnosis, what does the plan look like, and what are the tasks that the patient is having to do? That's the fun part. So uh, neurofeedback training itself is actually a very pleasant experience. There's several different types of equipment out there, but in my office I use uh, videos to focus the brain. Hmm. So what that means is once I do the map for someone, I design a protocol based on the findings. And we can go into the findings later. But depending on the findings, all the patient has to do is come into my office, sit down, relax, and watch a video. That sounds too easy. It does, doesn't it? But for the patient, it really is that simple. Now, what's going on behind the scenes is much more complex, as you can imagine. However, for the patient, the nice thing is this is someone who's suffering with anxiety, who's having trouble functioning to begin with. It's neat to give them... A solution does not involve necessarily more struggle. They don't have to do talk therapy where they have to discuss what's bothering them. Mm-hmm. They don't have to struggle with mental exercises. They just, just sit back, relax, and for the training sessions are a half an hour long. For a half an hour, relax and watch a video of their own choosing. What do you mean of their own choosing? Well, the video itself is not actually what's doing it. I realize it's confusing, but the video is simply focusing their brain. Well, okay. You, you... I mean, here I thought you were going to say, well, I've got you know a set of videos for depression, others for anxiety. Not You're... at all. Really? Not at all? Wow. Let me just tell you this, Ed. I know there's a lot of folks who are tuning in today who are going to want more information. If they can't stay with us for the whole hour, because I know you've got a lot of great information, tell us how someone could get more information. They can go to my website, carltonneurofeedbackcenter.com. On there, I have actually a book that they can download for free. In the book, it gives my story. It also gives information on other patients who've been in my office. And in the back of the book is a reference where they can find a a website for certified providers that they can find throughout the country in case they can't come to my office located in Virginia. This is fantastic. We're going to give that information again when we come back. We've got to step away just for a couple of minutes. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Dr. Ed Carlton, my guest, a lot more great stuff for those that have mental health challenges or loved ones with it. Boy, that includes all of us, doesn't it? Don't go away. We'll be right back with more on American Indian Living. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's one 800 775 Four six seven three. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. 
Emergency medical unit, respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. We're talking today about a fascinating topic, fascinating to me at least, and I'm sure to many of you. It's called neurofeedback, and we're talking with Dr. Ed Carlton. He's a doctor of chiropractic medicine, but he's also a certified neurofeedback, what do they call it, therapist? Is that what you're... The term is provider. Provider, okay. And you run the Carlton Neurofeedback Center there in the D.C. area. We were talking, Ed, about basically how someone gets involved with doing that, coming to a neurofeedback center like yours. You do some extensive analysis initially with a history and also with a quantitative EEG mapping the brain. And then you were starting to explain something that I was actually quite surprised by that you start having people watch videos and the content of the video seems to have nothing to do with how you're trying to help their brain. Am am I picking up on that correctly? That's always the biggest surprise my patients have. Yeah, the video itself has virtually nothing to do with it. For example, I have a lot of autistic children Mm -hmm. and Thomas the Train is big with them. I'm not quite sure why, but they love that. And the fact of the matter is what I need for them to do is focus on the video. The content of the video is only important as far as it is to keep someone's brain focused. For example, someone comes to my office and they suffer with anxiety. I'm not going to be able to help them if I tell them they have to watch a video they have no interest in. Okay. Because it's the interest in the video that we use for the neurofeedback training itself. Hmm. So think about this. Okay, you're sitting in an office, in our office we have nice leather chairs, they sit comfortably, they're sitting in front of a TV, and I make a fun, make a joke out of it, my office manager Valerie likes to watch, was it, Grey's Anatomy. Okay. She seems to like that. So she does training in my office, and that's what she watches, which is fine. But the thing about it is, as long as her brain is focused on the video, I can use that. Hmm. So, while you're watching the video... We already have a map, so we know where your brain is going too fast or too slow, depending on what the findings were. Well, 
we would have two sensors placed on your scalp and then another pair of clips placed on your earlobe. Now what this does is, what we're doing is measuring the brainwave output. I want to make it clear to your listeners, we're not putting anything in. We're simply measuring how the brain is working. Okay, so you're measuring electricity, not putting electricity into the brain. Correct. Okay. We're, simply, we're measuring in real time how their brain is working while they're sitting quietly watching a video. Mm-hmm. Now, anybody who suffers with a brain-based disorder, such as anxiety or panic attacks or depression, if they sit down and watch a show, they have a difficult time controlling their thoughts. Hmm. Well, they're going to have the same problem sitting in my office. Okay. So while they're watching the video, we're measuring it. When the brain cycles up and it starts going too fast, which it will, the movie itself goes dim and the sound goes down. Huh. What the patient noticed is it flickers. There's no pain involved. They just noticed that it flickers. Well, the neat thing about that is the human brain is amazing. If you do that and the person's interested in the video, doesn't, again, doesn't matter what's on it, as long as they're interested in it, then their brain comes back into focus huh. and it slows down. Now, imagine this. Most of your readers have ridden bicycles. Most of them know how to ride a bike, I'm assuming. I'm sure. So if think about this. When you first got on a bike, were you good at it? I wasn't. Yeah, well, <laughs> neither was I as far as that goes. <laughs> so that being said, right, you get on the bike. And maybe your dad or your mom there is with you. Maybe you start out with training wheels. Do the training wheels for a while, then you get on it, and there comes the day, and they come out with you, and they're holding on to your back, and they're telling you don't lean too far right, don't too far left. And mm-hmm. you get on the bike, and the first thing you do is ride down, and you crash. Well, that's typical. But after a while, you keep at it, and you get to the point where you can ride the bike. Now you can ride the bike and chew gum and ride the bike and talk to your friends and look around and take your hands off the handlebars and just keep cruising. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, most people don't realize this, but that's a natural process. It's called operant conditioning. Okay. That's exactly how neurofeedback training works to retrain someone's brain who is thinking anxious thoughts all the time, but the anxious thoughts they don't want. With neurofeedback training, we can change the brainwave distributions, and by doing that, we change the cause of the anxiety in the first place. So let me see if I'm following along with you, Ed. Basically, if someone walks in, they've got an anxiety disorder. They're having panic attacks. When you did that initial brain mapping, you found certain brainwave activities, perhaps in certain regions of the brain, that said, hey, this guy definitely has an anxiety disorder. When they're watching the video that they're interested in, as long as they're not engaging in anxious thoughts, as long as they're just focused on the video, everything's great. But then if they start thinking about, oh, what if when I go home, when I get on the subway, whatever, when I'm taking the train, they start worrying about stuff, then the video is going to start flickering and the volume's going to go down? Am I picking up on how this works? Essentially, that's correct, yes. And then their brain, wanting to watch the video, stops worrying about the trip and says, i got to focus back on this program, and those anxious thoughts dissipate. Is that kind of the idea? That's exactly how it works, yes. Interesting. So you basically have a different cue, if you will, for each patient as far as what's going to cause the video to flicker? That's correct. The thing about it is, each one of these uh, programs are unique to the individual. Hmm. That would need, that's one of the things that uh, needs to be made clear, I suppose. Each brain map for each individual is unique, just like everyone's EEG is unique. Mm-hmm. We may compare it to a, a database with normal and non-normal so we can get a comparison to get an idea. But just like a regular doctor like yourself would say, okay, the blood pressure is supposed to be around 100, 120 over 80, right? 
It sounds regular better. Regular person coming in and they're calm and they're relaxed. Mm-hmm. We all know it changes depending on age and that kind of stuff, but that's considered to be normal. So if somebody comes in with their blood pressure is way out of range, you know they have a problem of some form. Obviously, it takes a doctor like yourself to determine what it is. But in my office, they come in, I do their brain map, and I say, okay, you're having anxiety disorder. Now, there are four basic brain wave types, delta, theta, alpha, and beta. That's the slowest to the fastest. They're present at all times in the brain. The key is they're present in different ratios depending on what you're doing. Okay. So basically... Think about it this way. If you're sleeping comfortably and you're resting, Mm -hmm. the delta brain wave percentage is going to be much higher. It's the slower one, and your brain is at rest, and that's what's supposed to be present. The beta brain waves, unless you're in REM sleep, most people are familiar with the eyes moving quickly, is less because your brain is asleep. Mm-hmm. However, let's say it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and you suffer with anxiety. Well, what happens is people with anxiety, the beta brain waves are the faster ones, and they're present pretty much at all times if you're thinking coherently or cognitive thoughts. Mm-hmm. such as you're doing a math problem okay. or you're trying to, you're a student and you're memorizing something or you're at work and you're trying to solve a problem or working on an Excel spreadsheet possibly. Well, those are good uses for beta brainwaves. However, recurrent thoughts that are not good, which most people suffer with anxiety, they have what's called recurrent run-on thoughts. They get that thought in their head, the world's coming to an end or this is going to happen or this other terrible thing is going to occur and it recurs again and again and again mm-hmm. and they can't mm-hmm. shut it off. Mm-hmm. That's going to show up when I do a reading as excessively high beta brainwaves, usually on the right-hand side of the brain. Does that make sense? Well, I I hear what you're explaining, but why would it be on the right side and not the left? Well, this is a a simplification, but uh, typically the right-hand side, you're going to see more with feelings, facial organization, that type of stuff. And Mm -hmm. usually the front right lobe of the brain, Mm -hmm. the frontal lobe, is going to be responsible for these types of feelings. The left-hand side is more for logic, although the whole brain is used in everything. This is a simplification, but it pretty much bears out to be true. Someone comes in, and they measure on a brainwave map that they have high beta brainwaves in the right-hand front hemisphere. They almost always are going to have anxiety-type symptoms. They may not have panic attacks, Uh but they're going to have anxiety symptoms. If they're a young person, they're going to have impulse control. That's where the symptoms of ADHD come in. The hyperactivity show up. So are you actually saying that not only can you treat these anxiety disorders, but even kids with ADHD can get help with this uh, technique? I treat a lot of children, yes, sir. Absolutely. Wow. You got me really going here. Compared to conventional medication treatments, do we have any data on how well the neurofeedback does in comparison to some Uh, of the There's a number of different studies, but ADD and ADHD is probably the clearest one. Mm-hmm. And uh, neurofeedback training actually is more effective than any medication on the market today. Really? Well, the... it's viewed as a. This doesn't mean anything to your listeners, but it's a class. It's a number five. There's four. It can be one through five as far as efficacy, which means how well it works. Uh-huh. It's rated as a five, which means it's specific and effective for the treatment of ADD and ADHD symptoms. Well, well, here's the big question, Ed, about all of this. You're a chiropractic physician. You've got training in this discipline. Why are more people not hearing about this, for example, in primary care practices? Why is the average patient not hearing about this? That's a very good question. Um, I myself didn't find it for many years, although I looked far and wide. 
Uh, I think some of it has simply to do this uh, money, for one thing. Uh, there's not a lot of money as far as advertising and that kind of stuff as there would be for medication. Mm-hmm. Some of it is simply the number of people who provide this care. There's only about 1,800 of us in the entire United States who are certified in its use. Okay. So as far as the percentage of population who are available to provide it, there's not a lot of us. Uh-huh. And some of it, in all honesty, is a lack of knowledge. Folks like you said, for regular medical doctors, you have extensive training in a lot of different things. But if it's not gone over in the, in the schools and it's not taught in the curriculums following that, there's no way that someone like yourself would know to even... To even try it to begin with. No, granted, granted. Well, we've got to talk more about this, Ed. We have to step away just briefly. I'm talking with Dr. Ed Carlton. He is actually the founder of the Carlton Neurofeedback Center, and he's sharing some amazing things about an often overlooked source of help, whether you've got anxiety issues, whether you've got other mental health challenges. He's definitely got my interest at looking more at neurofeedback. He's going to have some more excellent information coming up in the second half of the show. Don't go away. We'll be back with a lot more on today's edition of American Indian Living. Stay tuned. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's one 800 775 Four six seven three. So, you want to be a hero? Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke. Sudden weakness on one side or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So whether it's around your neighborhood or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org. Or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute, since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live united. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give, advocate, volunteer, live united. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. 
Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose and with Dr. Ed Carlton for the second half of American Indian Living today. We're speaking about some of the amazing science of neurofeedback therapy. And uh, as we get into the topic, Ed, I I think a lot of my folks, if they're at all like me, they're saying, wow, I mean, if this is this powerful, and I'm just going to be honest, you know, with my listeners, this is not something I did a lot of research on before the show. Uh, Someone connected us, and I think, you know, the topic is just intriguing. So I'm going to be doing my homework after the show uh, airs saying, boy, is this guy really telling us the full truth. I mean, you sound very credible. I know you got the credentials and you're really challenging me. I mean, do other physicians, let me ask it this way, Ed, have you actually treated perhaps mental health professionals who've uh, then referred patients to you? Yes, I've treated uh, a number of different uh, professionals. I just did a presentation in front of the uh, Prince William County School Board, all their social workers as a result of a referral from one of their head psychologists. Mm-hmm. Well, all the great. students there for, for the challenges that the kids are facing. But one of my more intriguing stories, you and I were talking over the break, I actually have a psychiatrist in my office. And you asked earlier, why doesn't anybody know about this? Well, this is kind of a, a good example. This gentleman is in his mid-40s. He's been in practice for quite some time, and he suffers with bipolar disorder himself. Okay. Um, he's been in my office about 10 weeks. He's halfway through a recommended course of treatment of 40 sessions. Mm-hmm. And what he told me the other day, we were talking, because at 20 sessions I do a remap, and he's suffered with nightmares for years. He was just absolutely ecstatic. The nightmares have been gone for the last six weeks. Tremendous. And so, interesting enough, I was chatting with him. I said, okay, doc, so now that you're getting better, when can I expect you to start sending some of your patients to me so I can help them? Some of your more challenging ones. People uh-huh. aren't getting better with the medications just like you. Um, it was interesting you were asking why don't anybody hear about it it didn't even cross his mind he's like you know I hadn't thought of that wow and it, I don't think he was doing anything, he didn't mean anything ill by it he just hadn't thought of it yeah yeah so it, it's it's just, just not on the radar screen it wasn't experienced with what I do that's all yeah it's just not on the radar screen for so many of us and uh you're really challenging us to look into this you said there's about 1800 providers in the United States Yes, as compared to goodness knows how many regular MDs, I think there's like 80,000 chiropractors. There's, I know a lot more regular medical doctors and all that by factors of probably a 1,000. There's a lot more folks doing regular stuff than there is doing that. Mm-hmm. Now, Ed, you shared with us earlier in the show that you've got a website. That website is a point of contact, especially if someone's in the D.C. area and they actually want to see you and consider being treated by you. But also, you mentioned a book, and I thought you said it was a free book. Have I got that right? That's correct. The name of the book is The Answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's the book for anybody who suffers with a brain-based disorder, such as bipolar, autism, epilepsy, which was actually what it was first used for back in 1972, ADD, ADHD, what we're talking about here, panic attacks, depression, concussions, all the brain-based types of disorders that most people think you need medications for. The name of the book is The Answer. And basically what it is, it details uh, what happens in our office. It tells what neurofeedback is. It explains how it works. There's a lot of stories in there about patients who've had success. Obviously, the names have been changed, uh, but success in our office. And it also has some information in the back, a resource for anyone who wants help but can't get to my office to do so. And that resource gives a website or something where people can connect with practitioners throughout the country, or what all is there? 
Yeah, that's correct. Uh, the place they would look is Biofeedback Certification International Alliance. We need to work on our names. <laughs> anyway, oh, yeah. they would look under bcia.org. And on that site, all they have to look, put in is find a provider uh-huh. and put in their state, and it will bring up all the certified providers that are provider both in biofeedback and neurofeedback. It's got uh, professionals like myself who are certified in this. It's got folks who do um, heart rate variability. There's other types of biofeedback that are on there as well. If they're looking for a neurofeedback provider, the initials they look for are BCN, Biofeedback Certified Neurofeedback. That's what it stands for. Okay. Now, you're mentioning another term, and at a previous break, you and I were talking a little bit about this. My familiarity with this kind of whole field, you were pointing out to me when I was explaining some of my background in this, at least not as a practitioner, but just knowing about it, was more in the area of biofeedback where they're measuring skin temperature and heart rate. That is different or that's just a a different segment of kind of the the biofeedback or neurofeedback world? Is that a good way to explain it, or you got a better yes, explanation? that's correct. Uh, neurofeedback is considered a specialization of biofeedback in general. Okay. The whole term basically means you're using information from the body, whether it's skin temperature or heart rate variability, or in our case, electroencephalogram-guided audio and visual input. You're using the information from the body to help the body change what it's doing. Heart rate variability, for example, is used for controlling blood pressure. Uh, there are practitioners that can teach someone who suffers with high blood pressure and say, okay, what we're going to do is focus on your heart rate. Breathe deeply, and there's a variety of things that they would do. And in their office, they would train someone on how to control their heart rate or their breathing so that they can help control blood pressure using that. Mm-hmm. And that's one form of biofeedback. So neurofeedback is giving your brain information about what your own brain is doing as documented by this quantitative electroencephalogram, right? That's correct, yes. The information that we use is based on the sensors attached to the scalp. So let's expand the dialogue a bit. We've got folks tuning in. We started by talking about anxiety, panic disorders, We've included in the dialogue bipolar disorder, depression. I know a lot of folks have what we call OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder. Tell us a little bit about what that is, and then let us know if neurofeedback holds any promise for folks with that challenge. Well, that's close to my heart. My son is markedly OCD. Mm. And you need to understand, as you're probably aware as a physician, these mental challenges run in families. Mm-hmm. My mother is bipolar. I'm bipolar. My son, a very intelligent young man, is OCD to the point that he used to count how many times he chewed his food. He couldn't go to bed if he left the bathroom and he stepped off on the wrong foot and he counted his steps. If it wasn't the right number, he would go back and start over. Wow. He's done it his entire life. He's now 24 years old, and I can honestly say that the neurofeedback training has resolved those issues. Tremendous. Which is pretty cool. I mean, that's but tremendous. As far as what it is, OCD is uh, it's an anxiety-based disorder. So what this happens is people with OCD have, just what I was talking about earlier, run-on thoughts. Mm-hmm. But in this case, the run-on thoughts are, okay, my hands aren't clean, so they'll wash their hands repeatedly. Or I didn't lock the door at the house, so they'll leave and they'll turn around and go back, and they'll leave and turn around and go back. Or they'll have some other, and it doesn't have, it can be anything. 
but the more common ones would be, you know, cleanliness and that type of stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or as of my son, counting. Mm-hmm. And they do it repetitively, and it, they can't stop it. And the reason for that is, again, the frontal hemisphere, frontal lobe on the right-hand hemisphere of the brain is hyperactive, and it's causing them to do this as a way of solving that, I guess is the way to put it. They've got the demons in their head, and the only way they can shut it off is to wash their hands a thousand times in a day. Mm-hmm. Or in my son's case, count every single step, and the only way he could leave the house is if he walked out on his left foot. And if he mm-hmm. didn't, he got back in, and he stepped off again. And he was fully conscious of that? He consciously said, I'm walking out on my right foot. I've got to redo it all? Absolutely. He was very good at covering it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it wasn't glaringly obvious. Mm-hmm. But I can say I had a conversation with him last summer after we finished his 40th session. We were talking, and he went back to college. And he's like, Dad, we're talking on the phone. You know, today, Dad, I went to school, and I don't even know how many steps I took to get there. Well, I'm like, really? Now, for anybody else, who cares? I don't no. know how many steps I've taken. You know, <laughs> I, it doesn't make a difference. But for him, it was a big deal. Yeah, yeah, obviously. You know, is this, is this, is that, is this how other people live, Dad? So, yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of how it works. <laughs> so, so you gave us a lot of initials for organizations, for certification, but people that are tuning in today, they don't need to remember all those details. They just need to know that if they go to your website – and I've got it here in front of me. It's CarltonNeuroFeedbackCenter.com. If they go there, and I haven't been on the website, so I'm I'm trusting you that you're giving us a straight scoop here. If I go to I go to Carlton Neurofeedback Center, and I'm going to see right there the answer. It's going to be obvious where I can get this free book. Absolutely, it's on the it's on the home page. Okay, you download it. It's free. Put in your email. They send it to you the email. You're good to go. And if you look in there, you don't want to read the book, you just want the resource, it's on page, I think, 92 in the back. And I think it's listed in the contents resource page or something for anybody who wants to find the name of the uh, organization we were talking about, the BCIA. It's listed there with the website with an explanation of how to find a provider for their local area. Wow, this is great stuff. Ed, there are so many mental health challenges, and you're really expanding our window. You're speaking to me and other health professionals saying, you got to consider neurofeedback. If you don't know what it is, if you're somebody like Dr. DeRose, who is not in the practice of referring people to this therapy, you're telling me you got to learn more about this and see if it's right for your patients and start considering it. You're telling folks that are listening, if they have mental health conditions, they need to look into this therapy. And I'm understanding it correctly. You don't do any prescribing of any medications. Is that the the case? That's correct. What percentage of people that you see, and I I know this may be a difficult question because you're seeing people with all kinds of mental health disorders. Can you give us a ballpark figure like what percentage actually can come off their mental health medications? Well, for ADD and ADHD, probably 75 to 80%. Wow. For bipolar disorder, probably closer to 30 to 40. Uh Uh-huh. For anxiety, you're probably up there around the 65 to 70%. The same for depression. Uh, epilepsy, it depends on the severity of the condition. Um, concussion, post-concussion symptoms, it depends on, on what it is, truthfully. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as the percentage goes, if you're dealing with panic attacks and anxiety, that's, we're highly successful at that. And there's, I, I can't quote them right offhand. But it's between 65 and 70% come off medications because they no longer require them. 
But again, that depends on the severity that you're dealing with. Sure. Uh, but the, all of them gain benefit from it. Um, I, I, it's a pretty good example. Medications for 22 years, and I no longer require them. Well, the other, the other thing that that you know, you've mentioned now a couple of times that I've, I mean, it's actually astounding to me is you actually can help people with epilepsy with this technique, huh? It's actually the first thing that uh, neurofeedback training was used for in 1972. Really? And they actually got significant results without medications, just using well, neurofeedback? The research, um, it's one of the better-known ones. You can actually, if anyone wants to do it, they can Google neurofeedback epilepsy 1972, and this case study will come up. It's pretty well, it's actually within, I admit it, our very small group, fairly well-known. But the lady not only got better, but she previously could not drive, and after three months, got her license, and subsequently went on to become a proponent of neurofeedback training over the rest of her life. Wow. Ed, this is amazing stuff. Again, Ed's website is carltonneurofeedbackcenter.com. We've got a final segment coming up. Ed's going to share another story with us that I think will captivate you and even bring this more right down to home because it's dealing with a challenge that uh, we're hearing a lot about today and uh, something that may not be on your radar screen as far as neurofeedback therapy. We've got that one last segment. Don't go away. You want to catch it, we'll give out the information one more time for Ed's free book and resources. Stay tuned. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand, and someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. 
Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose for our final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. Dr. Ed Carlton has been my guest from the beginning of the hour, and we're going to launch into a discussion right now that may be quite sensitive. If there are younger listeners that are tuning in, uh, this might be a little bit, uh, not may not be appropriate. I'm not sure quite how much detail we'll go into, Ed, but I know you've worked with some really challenging areas, and one of the things that's been grabbing a lot of attention in our culture is abuse. Uh, that includes in the workplace, in the home, sexual abuse, other forms of abuse. You actually have some experience dealing with that and making a difference using this technique. Tell us uh, uh, at least one story. Okay. Well, this is one of my favorite ones. I've treated a number of them, but this is one I can honestly say I saw a very decisive victory. At least I felt it was a victory. Mm-hmm. Um, I had two young men brought into my office, the two brothers. Both had been victims of sexual abuse by their mother's boyfriend mm. several years earlier. The mother's boyfriend was currently in the hospital at the time they were brought in. They were brought in by their father, who was obviously separated from the mother. Okay. And when they were brought in, uh, the father's concern was the oldest was very shy and withdrawn, and the youngest boy was acting out and was in trouble at school with all the reasons you could possibly think of. Now, the father did not know anything about the abuse at this point? No, no. They, he was f- all fully aware of it. The, the person involved, the person responsible was, in fact, in jail. Oh, okay. They'd already charged him. And, in fact, the boys were responsible, going to have to testify against this man. They started with me about a year ago, and about seven months after they first started with me, the trial had been set for them to testify against the man responsible for the abuse in the first place. The biggest concern for the father was the oldest boy was very withdrawn, as I said, and not communicating, and it was necessary for his testimony in order for the person responsible for it to be brought to justice. I see. So so here's a kid who's been a victim. He not only does not want to talk about it, he can't talk about anything hardly, right? He's just kind he's of in very, his own yeah, cocoon. he's very incommunicative. And he'd been in talk therapy for several years, as you can imagine. They uncovered the crimes about two years earlier to this. Okay. Wheels of justice grind slowly, so this is where we were at the time they brought him into it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what happens during the course of therapy? Do you actually see improvement in the, the young man? Yes, actually, quite a bit of it. In both cases, the younger boy, unfortunately, not quite as much. However, uh, the, the older brother, at the time he came in, was 13, as I said, withdrawn and not speaking to many people. Over the course of 15 weeks, the sessions are done twice weekly, so with 30 sessions, he opened up. He started communicating much more. He actually joined his baseball team. Hmm. which was really cool. Uh, and to make a long story short, I realize we don't have a lot of time. His last visit with me was two days before the trial day, and we had a quiet conversation, and I knew what was going on because his father had told me. Mm-hmm. And I recommended that he do his best. Mm-hmm. I use much stronger words than those, but in interest of the show, I won't say that. But I told him, go do his best and see if he could get this man brought to justice. About six days uh, later, I get a call from his stepmother, married to his father, and she was ecstatic. Hmm. And she said, uh, Dr. Alton wants you to know that the man responsible got 30 years. Wow. And you've got a young man 
a victim who wasn't functioning, was withdrawn. Now he's interacting with kids. He's playing sports. He's acting more like a normal kid again, huh? I can honestly say I think he's going to be okay. He had the opportunity to speak out. He was capable of doing so. He looked me right in the eye, shook my head firmly, said, I'm going to do it. And I'm fairly confident that young man is going to be okay, despite what he went through. Wow. So basically, we're talking, Ed, about a resource that has, well, I was going to say slipped off the radar screen. It hasn't been on the radar screen for many of us, neurofeedback therapy. And you've been expanding my mind the whole show. I mean, from epilepsy to anxiety to you even mentioned autism in the equation. Does that really get help Absolutely. with this too? That some of the results I get with my autistic kids are astounding. Really? We've got a couple more minutes. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Go for it. Okay. Perfect example. Young man comes in and he is so reactive that you can't touch him. You know, he doesn't like people getting close. And when I first spoke to him, I had my you know typical doctor's coat on, mm-hmm. and he just he wouldn't he couldn't have me in the room. Wow. So I left the room. I have very well trained staff, and the, young, the ladies were keeping him calm, and they were just chatting with him. So I came back without my doctor's coat on, and he was okay with me in the room. So what we did, we mentioned earlier the videos, right? Uh-huh. So what I did was actually let him sit down in the room, and we turned on Thomas the Train. Okay. It was like magic. He sat quietly and watched Thomas the Train. We didn't do anything the first session. We didn't huh. measure him. We didn't do anything. We just let oh, him sit okay. there. And he sat for a half an hour, and, and he went home. Huh. And he came back the next time, and the next time uh, I didn't go into the room. I designed a protocol based on his symptoms, and the ladies uh, set up the equipment. We didn't do a brain map initially. We just set up the equipment, and the equipment is very non-invasive. So as long as Thomas, as long as we put the Thomas train on first, he was okay with it. He <laughs> sat quietly and watched the video the entire time. Huh. After 10 sessions, we were actually able to map him. Okay. I determined that the, session, the uh, protocol I was using was correct. Uh-huh. After 40 sessions, the young man actually would talk to me. He gave me high fives in my office with my coat on, by the way. Huh. Says hello to my staff on the way in. My receptionist's name at the time was Lindsay. Ray is my, my assistant. He'd come in. Hi, Ray. How are you? The improvement was amazing. The neat thing about the autistic is, is we're opening up the lines of communication. I want uh-huh. to make it clear we're not curing autism. I'm not making that claim. But what you're doing by opening up communication is then all the other stuff that you're working with works so much better, mm-hmm. whether it's therapy or whether the parents are talking to them, whatever it is. So here's probably maybe the most difficult question I'm going to ask you. And uh, maybe it's even not possible for you to give me an unbiased response. But are there people with mental health disorders or mental health challenges, depending on how we want to label them, that can just X neurofeedback training off the list? Are there some people? Uh, Good. Okay. Well, tell us. It's a matter of severity. For example, my father died of Alzheimer's this year. Uh Uh-huh. The fact of the matter is it's great for cognitive decline, but if it's allowed to go too far, neurofeedback training is too little too late. Okay. But even early... Dealing with somebody who is... I have some schizophrenic patients, Uh but it is not recognized as a treatment for that, and I don't recommend it for that. And again, it's a matter of severity. If you think about it, it's very much like going to a personal trainer. Okay, I need to lose weight. Well, you're 700 pounds. You can't start here. You've got to do something else first. Does that make sense? Uh, a little bit. Let me see, though, if I understood one of the implications of what you were saying, Ed. Were you saying that early in the process of dementia, neurofeedback training can help? Yes. It's excellent for helping with cognitive decline. Uh-huh. 
but I'm not stating it's a cure. But what happens, it's very much like it's exercise, right? Okay. But the neat thing about neurofeedback training is it's exercise for the brain, and it actually can get the brain working much more efficiently. And if you don't have underlying uh, physiological issues creating challenges, then very often you can stave off the cognitive decline for much longer using it. Yes, this is this is proper exercise and diet can help someone with diabetes remain much healthier. Wow, this is just great stuff. So basically what you've done is you've expanded really our whole perspective, I think, today on mental health disorders. You said really there's another tool in the toolkit that we need to be considering, and it's neurofeedback. Ed, for those who may have just picked up the tail end of the show, they don't know how to get a hold of you. If they're in the D.C. area, maybe they even want to drop in and be evaluated. Or they want to get a copy of your free book wherever they are in the country or the world. Tell us again about your website and what all is there. Uh, the name is carltonneurofeedbackcenter.com. On the front page, home page, I'll leave these leaf down. Go to the where it says download the book, and they can get it right there. And the book is called The Answer, if I got that much? That's correct. Yes, sir. So that book is kind of the roadmap if people want to learn more about what neurofeedback therapy is, and it then also has these uh, important websites and contact information for people to get connected with a therapist anywhere in the U.S., correct? That's correct. Wow, Ed. Thank you so much. I know you run a very busy practice. I so appreciate you joining us on today's show. Thank you for having me. Ed, before you run, we've got some folks who've heard what you've had to say. They're thinking about neurofeedback therapy. They're kind of on the fence. What is the next step? What would you encourage someone to do? Get off the fence. The fact of the matter is, uh, one thing we didn't talk about, neurofeedback training has no side effects. There are no downsides. They have nothing to lose by trying. Wow. Powerful message. Get the information. You can get a great starting point at Ed's own website, Dr. Ed Carlton. His website again, Carlton, that's C-A-R-L-T-O-N, neurofeedbackcenter.com. You can go there, download a copy of the book, The Answer. I'm going to do it myself. Right after uh, we finish, I'm going on to that website. Uh, maybe it'll be overwhelmed if uh, you're listening in your, in your neck of the woods. But hey, go there to carltonneurofeedbackcenter.com. Get the book, The Answer, and get connected with neurofeedback information and possibly a practitioner in your own area. We've got to step away. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Hopefully today's show has expanded your perspectives and has done what we always try to do on American Indian Living, put you in position to be in the very best of health. That's it for today. I'm Dr. David DeRose, as always, wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.